Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicked, a cricket podcast that is all about good intent and perfect anchors. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mayank. Hey, everyone. Nish. Hello, everyone. And Himanish. Hi, guys. And today, we will be speaking with a man who wears several hats, Atif Nawaz. We talk to him about his juggling acts as a television presenter and comedic performer, his thoughts on the cricketing rivalry between India and Pakistan, the PSL setback his expectations from Pakistan's tour of South Africa, and much, much more. But first, I want to check in with the rest of the Last Wicked team about the recently concluded ODI series between India and England. It was a very dramatic finish to what has actually been a very dramatic tour. Uh, let me get Himanish's thoughts first, just about what, what do you feel about the way the series went on um, and what do you feel about India's performance? I think very good series, uh, very entertaining. The third ODI was obviously, I, I don't like ODIs too much, but this one really showcased uh, what a good ODI should look like because there's a range of possibilities going into the 35th, 40th over. So it was quite good. Uh, from India's perspective, I think... Uh, uh, they found some answers, but they found some questions as well. Uh, they finally found a middle order combination. So after um, the retirement of Dubraj and Rana, they've been sort of confused about what brand of cricket they want to play in that middle order. And with Dhoni waning, they were sort of conservative, which is sort of out of step with how the world is going right now in uh, white ball cricket. But I think... Uh, Pant has finally found his groove. He looks very settled. His uh, shots are shapely. He is hitting them on the offside as well. So he's he's found his sort of uh, place in that order and he's made it his own. And with Pant and Rahul settled at 4-5, four, 5-4 five, five, four, and then the Pandya brothers there, I think India should stick with this middle order and uh, keep going in terms of hitting the ball hard. Uh, in terms of the questions for them, I think uh, the spin is a big question uh, because Kuldeep Yadav has sort of lost his confidence, it looks like. Uh, he's been worked out by most teams. So that 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 plan of India's, which involved throwing a couple of wrist spinners in the middle overs and controlling them, isn't working anymore. Uh, so they'll have to look 
for an alternative option to that. Uh, that being said, Bhuvneshwar Kumar coming back into form was magnificent. His control was great. He was getting the ball to curl a little bit, uh, and it was beautiful to watch. So I think Bhuvneshwar and Bumrah um, in the pace attack should be a very good lethal long-term option for India now with the white ball at least, and the middle order is settled. Now they have to look for uh, what Shardul does. I'm not still sold on him completely, but yeah. Uh, they still have to look for what Shadul does. If he can bowl well, he lends a lot of balance to the batting order because he can bat at uh, seven slash eight and then deepen the batting order, which means they can go harder. So yeah, a fascinating series from a long-term perspective as well for India. In in terms of how England um, did, I think they should be questioning themselves because they've lost a lot to India and they have this uh, one-dimensional approach, which is very good. It mostly works. But what happens when the ball sort of uh, moves and does a few things? Uh, does their approach hold up? It it doesn't hold up that well. So we have to kind of think about that. Fascinating to watch. Your point about Rishabh Pant's shape, shapely batting. I, I've seen the highlight. I, I didn't really watch any of these games live, but I watched the highlights. So I, I don't understand how his body moves in some of for some of his shots. Like especially in the third ODI, like that, uh, was it a six or a four? Like his body was bent in a weird manner and still he managed to get the ball to the boundary. Uh, so I'm glad that he, he is not like, he has not shelved his unorthodox style. You know, it's, it's very, it's, it's very easy when you're overcoached uh, both at the IPL level or the international level for that to be suppressed. Right. Like, and then it's very textbook coaching. So I'm, I'm glad that he stuck to it and uh, you know, glad, glad for the entertainment. Mayank, what, what did you think? I can't go past you saying I, I was looking at how his body moves. That definitely <laughs> caught my attention. But got uh, mine other too. than that, I think. <laughs> uh, but I think other than that, uh, Himanish sort of hit the nail on the head. You know, I think the question mark for India, both in T20s and ODIs, really is their spin combination. They've had two very very successful spinners in uh, Chahal and Kuldeep, and both seem to be. Uh, Kuldeep in particular seems to be down on confidence and getting picked quite easily. Chahal still is getting, you know, mixed results. So uh, I think that's really the only puzzle that they uh, need to solve. And, you know, with Jadeja back, that number seven spot will go back to him likely. And, you know, he'll, he'll be even even better than Kronal in my mind. So all in all, I think it's, it's a pretty good lineup. You know, they've been pretty consistent. And I, I wrote about this as well. And, you know, I, I mentioned that I generally think that it's a very good all-rounded side which can succeed in pretty much all conditions and that's sort of different from England who have sort of a one-way approach and you'll notice that in all the World Cups that have happened in the last decade um, the average scores have been actually much lower than the ODIs in, in that country before so I think about 2011 India 2015 Australia 2019 England so that, again, will come into play in 2023. And I, I don't really understand why that's the case. Maybe it's just how they, you know, they have some ruling around World Cup pitches. Maybe it's just, you know, pitches being also, used on multiple uh, times. Home advantage, right? Because if you look at the ODIs right. that are played in bilateral series, the same team plays them. And they have a home right. advantage and they know their conditions well. But in a World Cup, you have multiple teams playing. So the average sort of right. gets down. No, no, absolutely. That, that definitely plays a factor. But uh, I guess my point being... England definitely have a very solid team, but it's a result of sort of the hard-hitting all-rounders that they have, that they're they are comfortable going with this approach. And obviously, they have a very solid top three, top four. Um, 
but they'll they'll definitely be in trouble if you know there's some movement and things like that. We've already seen the in-swinger trouble um, both their openers. Uh, it's trouble Josh Butler as well. So for them, that'll be probably the only question if they want to continue with that. Um, they they seem to have the results for. It, so I don't necessarily think that they'll change it. But um, yeah, from from India's perspective, spin is probably the only question right now. Yeah, I'm. I'm wondering if it's time to go back to Ashwin and I mean, Jadeja is already there in the mix, but I'm, I'm wondering if it's time to go back to Ashwin because if Kuldeep and even Chao doesn't seem to be in the best of form from what I'm seeing, at least with performance in the T20s. Uh, so I'm wondering if they want to go back to the security of a, a proven performer like Ashwin. What do you think, Mayank? I personally don't think so. Um, and the reason for that is, in my mind, there needs to be four bowlers who are taking wickets. Um, and with Bhuvi and Bumrah, those two are covered. Then, you know, we need two spinners or ideally maybe, you know, Natarajan can be the third person, Shami can be the third person, and then we need one spinner who takes a lot of wickets. And Ashwin and Jadeja have been playing very similar sort of limited overs cricket where they try to keep the runs down. They don't pick as many wickets. And that definitely was the case until 2017 Champions Trophy when India decided to change their you know, tactic. So in my mind, Ashwin is not good enough to play as the all-rounder because his batting is not as good as somebody like Jadeja or Krunal. And he's not good enough to play as a plain bowler ahead of uh, even Chahal for that matter, even when Chahal is not at his peak. Nish, what, what did you make of... Uh... England's performance. I mean, they came in with this expectation that, you know, that's defending World Cup champions and the way they've been playing in recent times. I personally thought that they should have won the series. What did you make of their performance? Yeah, I just want to start off with saying that my boy Sam Curran is back in form for CSK. So that's really good to say. <laughs> but um, all jokes aside, I think uh, you're right, Penny. England uh, should have won the series fairly comfortably, especially the way they uh, attacked us in the first game. Uh, you know, then the mighty collapse happened and the second game, they kind of like, you know, bludgeoned us. The third game also, they came very close, you know. Um, the series was very exciting from an England perspective uh, without Morgan and Archer for a couple of games. You know, they still competed and pushed us to the brink, which kind of like shows and supports their number one ranking today. Um, plenty of positives for India as well. You know, despite uh, Sharma having a quiet series, our middle order kind of like, you know, uh, took up the challenge and good to see Rahul back in front as well. I'm just I'm just a little concerned by what Himanish and uh, Mayan set up for the spin department. We're still lagging there, you know, uh, and Kuldeep's uh, confidence of his body language from last game did not look good at all. But then again, you know, he's facing Bairstow and Stokes in that form. Not many can, you know, say that, oh, it's, oh, it's whatever, just brush it aside and move on. It's, it's, it's hard work bowling to those guys in that um, fiery form. But overall, I think this series was one of the most entertaining three match ODI series I've seen in a while, actually. So it's good. It's good. And uh, what, what what is your guys' pick for the performance of the series? Um, we'll start with Himanish. Who do you think uh, impressed you the most from both sides, either from either side? Well, uh, Bairstow for sure. I, I can't make sense of all the three matches. Bairstow did well. Bhuvneshwar did very well. Um, uh, and I think in the middle order, um, Pant and Hardik both contributed. So yeah, quite a bunch of performance, uh, people there, but yeah. So if, if I were to pick one person, it would probably be Bhuvneshwar because Shardul again, I think he got a lot of his wickets through flukes. 
he did contribute all round and i'm very happy as a csk fan coming up he's in form but yeah i'm 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 not sold on him yet so yeah bhuvneshwar would have been the pick for me what about you nish yeah literally have to piggy bank uh piggy back here what himnish said when considering the overall run rate was 6.3 6.5 bhuvneshwar was very um economical and he was economical by taking wickets which is the best way to be economical right so yeah definitely bhuvneshwar was a standout for me uh, a second would be you know if i want to throw someone from england yeah johnny besto despite having a poor couple of uh, test matches he kind of like you know redeemed himself in his feared format you know so it's good to see him back in form mike Yeah I mean I think uh, Bhuvi should have been man of the series in my mind um but I think the second person that comes to mind from the Indian perspective is Pant because he's obviously established himself in tests um in the last you know 3 4 months but uh, hadn't had that chance in ODIs don't believe he was picked maybe apart from one series he wasn't picked after the 2019 World Cup so that way it was really good to see him in the runs and you know I think it's just confidence and the back that he's getting right now that that's helping him um from england's perspective sam karan was really good uh, i felt like obviously bersho was good but sort of expected that from him in the one day format um and i think sam karan was like somebody who we've seen in the test series frustrate us in 2018 so it was good to see him also do well in odis well not really good to see him but I guess from CSK fans that I'm sitting with, I guess good that way. <laughs> honestly, uh, honestly, like you know, overall, I agree with everyone. You know the the names that you came up with, Bhuvneshwar and Rishabh Pant. Let me just say, when I was watching Sam Curran bat, uh, you know, the third third game, like leading the chase, I was torn for the first time. Right when there's the India game, I'm like, I want Sam Curran to do well. I want him to score a century and. get close but i want india to win so i'm glad i got both those wishes and i i feel like uh from an like you mentioned from a csk fan perspective i am so happy that he because someone had mentioned like for someone who's still relatively new in international cricket his maturity right like the way he assesses the match situation and the confidence with which he could like pace his innings he kind of took a gamble you know deciding not to take like singles when he was batting with mark wood but it shows he's a thinking cricketer he's he it shows that he had a plan in mind and i said it's from the dhoni school you know so i i'm expecting great things from him uh this ipl nish yeah i i definitely agree with you there penny sam karn was um he wasn't all bludgeon right it was very calculated assault on us and also what kind of pissed me off was uh it's maybe a little petty but Gavaskar was like, you know, when the game was still widely open, he was like, "Oh yeah, this is India's game to lose. We have like nine fingers on the trophy." I was like, "Calm down. There's still a, you know, people can bat till number ten for England." So mm-hmm. that was kind of like a thing that irked me. But yeah, good to see you, Karan. The one other thing which I don't know how many people have realized is now that the ODI Super League is uh, started, every series only the first three ODIs will be counted, um, and. towards that qualification. So even if they play 5 ODIs only the first 3 will be counted and I don't know if a lot of people have realized that. I don't know that. Either. I don't even think yeah, so I don't think they did a you know, they did any announcements of that on the commentary and I I usually listen on mute so maybe I they don't they know that either. <laughs> they don't know that. I I don't think anyone cares about this uh, Super League thing. It's very well, shabbily it, like it's It a, counts uh, towards the World Cup qualification, but the host it doesn't apply to the host. They're fine regardless of how they Yeah, do. but the 
But the thing is that for the top five, six teams, it's very hard to not qualify. Like you'll have to screw up royally over three years to not qualify. Honestly, it's ultimately a farce and it's important for the last two, three teams. Right. Like Sri Lanka, West Indies, and I don't know, probably Bangladesh. Right. But but again, like having said that, like at least it's a step towards making these bilateral series have some context. Like it may not be a perfect way to do it. And, you know, you're right. I mean, there's probably not going to be a chance that Australia, England, New Zealand, India are, are going to be in trouble because of that. But it, it's still important for, you know, let's say an India-Sri Lanka series because Sri Lanka care about it. So right. I think it still gives certain uh, context and I think it's important. It's, it's a step in the right direction, may not be a perfect uh, move. Well, it was uh, overall, it was a very entertaining series for fans. And, you know, we're always grateful for that in a, a pandemic world. To get any any cricket at all is great, but then to get some really good cricket from some top teams, uh, can't ask for anything better. So today we get to speak with an award-winning British Pakistani actor, writer, stand-up comedian, and television presenter. And all of this is one person. So while he's best known for performing comedy shows and television acting, he also has a tremendous passion for cricket. He has hosted a weekly cricket podcast on BBC Radio 5 Live called Adusra, and he has regularly contributed to BBC, I, BBC's iconic Test Match special program. So you can also catch him sharing his cricket thoughts on the regular at the Post Match Chat channel on YouTube. Atif Nawaz, welcome to The Last Cricket Podcast. Thank you so much for, for inviting me, man. I'm really impressed because I didn't tell you any of those things. So you found those all out independently. I had to so, do my research. I had to do my research. So <laughs> I feel very privileged, Penny. Thank you. Well, Atif, so I was telling you you know, a bit offline that we've known each other on and off for over the last 10 years or so. And I'm really glad that I'm finally getting some time to talk with you about a bunch of stuff. But I very quickly wanted to like check if you remember this particular incident because back in 2010, uh, I joined Twitter under the ID TracerBullet007. I don't know if that rings a bell, but this was when you would go on uh, Test Match Sofa. Remember those days? And uh, I, I, I remember those days. Yeah, so I would tweet a bunch of stuff at Test Match Sofa. And for some reason, people started thinking that it was actually you using the ID TracerBullet007 and tweeting at people. So for a brief moment in time, People thought that I was you. So that's the tenuous connection that you and I have or that we started out on. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but I'm very I glad. I tell that. you what, that's a really flattering comparison for me because I vividly remember Tracer Bullet 007. And I'm really glad, actually, because I thought this whole thing was just a gotcha situation where you were going to take your face off, like in face off, and you're actually Ravi Shastri <laughs> just wearing a mask, right? And you're like, was... gotcha, Atif, this is the moment, right? Uh, I, right, I that was a plan. Actually, really funny man and uh, anybody confused me for you I, I take that as a big compliment and guess what you've gone on to bigger and better things since then so i think it all worked out yeah i mean bigger or maybe bigger i guess so but uh i mean better is a matter of opinion i suppose i still love the uh well gorilla cricket which is the kind of successor to test match right. sofa and i love those sofa days they were amazing and i made sort of lifelong friends and and you know connections out of it um, yeah, Test Match Special is incredible. And I, I really feel the privilege of being a part of this show that's been on for like nearly 100 years. Um, right. uh, and it, it's great. And I really love it. I, I don't think of like in a weird way. I know sort of hierarchically and in the world of sport, you know, certain things have more gravitas than others. But I, I kind of 
I just want to talk about cricket, to be honest with you, man. I'll do right. that anyway. I'll do that at the Taba when I'm having my jai. And I'll do, or I'll do it like with the, with people on radio in front of millions of people, whatever, you know? Which is why, uh, you know, what I wanted to talk to you about and a good way to kind of segue into it. So back in those days, you would go on and you basically did commentary, live commentary during games, literally from a sofa. And now you've done a lot of things since then, including, you know, being a TV presenter and you mentioned, you know, going on test match special. So that's, that's a pretty big journey, right? From where you started all those years ago. So I just wanted to just, just hear your thoughts on your career. You know, what has your experience been working as a TV presenter and just like interacting with all these ex-cricketers or even like with current cricketers for that matter? Uh, what has your experience been like and how do you juggle that with, you know, your other roles that you do as a stand-up comedian or actor? Uh, how's that experience been like? It's, it's interesting, man. Like, I, I feel like I get to live loads of different lives, to be honest with you, because very few of them overlap. And I noticed this, like, when I go on Instagram Live, right, uh, sometimes just to talk to my followers. And I'm not, you know, not to brag or anything, but I've got a decent number of followers. But, like, the minute I start talking about cricket, like, half of them disappear immediately, which means right. there was something else going on in my life that attracted them into my world. Um, <laughs> so I've created all these kind of sequestered communities. You know, I did a TV show called Muslamic, which kind of was predominantly British-Asian. Um, I did stand-up comedy, which generally catered to sort of you know, mostly, I guess, middle-class white people in England, right? That's kind of like the audience for festival comedy in England, uh, right. you know, and I've done like, you know, Pakistani or Desi acting stuff, you know, which again has its own specific audience. And then I did, I presented a TV show on living. I actually forget all the things I do now because <laughs> I've done loads of different things. Like I, I, your, website recently, has I a, your website has a very comprehensive list of stuff that you've been in. So don't worry, we can always include that link. So that people can go back check it out and see. Yeah, maybe you need to I update some stuff. Yes. <laughs> I was in a fried I was in a fried chicken shop not too long ago. Cause you know, okay. because this that's how this happens. And there was a guy <laughs> who uh who kind of recognized me. He's like, Oh man, you're that guy. And you know, sometimes you'll be like, okay, he recognizes me from XYZ. I had no idea. It could have been anything. It could be like some web series I was on. It could be like the cricket. It could be like the live cricket thing I did during the World Cup. It could be anything. It genuinely could be. So it's kind of a thrill. It's like playing roulette every time somebody spots you. You're kind of thinking, yeah. what does he know me for? Or is he the police and am I breaking the law? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where this attention's coming from. But yeah, it's, it's amazing, man. Like um, in the sofa days, it was just something I was doing for fun. Um, you know, I, I was a comedian. That's all I was, a stand-up comic. I tour, I go to different cities on my off nights or off days. I'd come and sit and watch with cricket with these random dudes and just hang out and, and just chat. And it was a lot of fun, but I never really processed that it could go somewhere, you know? Right. Um, and I'm really lucky that it did. And there's a few people who helped me get there, but we'll, we'll get there, I guess. Well, which one do you enjoy the most out of all of the things that you do? Um, uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's stand-up comedy. And maybe it's the fact that I've been sitting in a, in a pandemic for the last 18 months where I've barely yeah. been able to gig, right? <laughs> um, like the last proper gig I did was actually in on your side of the world in, in LA, right? Um, and uh, like that's that just blows my mind. That was where I was last year, February, just before the club started shutting down in England. And then when right. they reopened in the brief gap, I was busy doing cricket stuff, so I couldn't really get back on stage. And now it's been all, it's been more than 12 months since I got on stage and I, I miss it like crazy. It's my first love, man. To be in a room with people and mm -hmm. be able to control how they feel pretty much, you know, um, be the reason that they laugh or respond or, or feel some joy. It's, you feel like, it's like the only way I can describe it 
uh, is if you've played the game Sim City, it's mm-hmm. when all of your residents are really happy and your right. economy is going upwards and you don't need to build anything. You're just building things for fun rather than for sustainability. That's the feeling of doing a good stand-up comedy gig. I'm just winning at Sim City, bro. That's why. That's why I like playing. <laughs> that's why I like playing live clubs the most. I can't. I can't nothing comes close. Yeah. So I've been watching your stand-up comedy bits and I've been loving them. Now you use certain stereotypes and you sort of turn them on their head to sort of generate comic effect in your bits. What sort of inspired you to do that first, and how's the reaction been in England and Pakistan among your friends and family and among the British people in general? Thanks, man. It's very kind of you to say. Um, I, I mean, I've been very lucky. Like I try and frame. Like I try not. I'm one of those rare comics who refuses to put too much stuff online, right? So you only kind of see a bit of a routine, and it, it tends to be like. a more kind of commercially like a, a more accessible bit of the routine so and the truth is they all happen all of these things happen the story where i talk about getting on a train carriage and people walking off because i've got the beer i love that one yeah i yeah. make the play on the terrorism thing like you know thank that's very kind it's um you know it happened that's a real thing that happened to me the bollywood songs thing is a real thing that happened to me the the date with a jewish girl is a real thing that happened to me you know all of these things that people think are stereotypes like people forget they become stereotypes because these things happen but my job as the storyteller is to find the spin on it the the creative ending the the way to frame it that people can't anticipate and um that most of the time and i've been very lucky like you know i've i've managed to tour these shows across the uk i get a very mixed audience um you know and i i do kind of adjust my stuff where i'm go- just to make it more accessible to whomever i'm playing it to a little bit but i'm lucky man i get to go to like different places like a couple of years ago i ended up touring uh malta you know the city the country of malta like three times in the space of 18 months it's just the most bizarre thing like it's not like a comedy hotbed like michael mackintyre doesn't dave chapel doesn't go to malta <laughs> that i know of you know it's I ended up in Malta, and I mean, you never know where you're going to find a random audience. And um, again, in Pakistan, I change it up a little bit as well, different style. I haven't performed in Pakistan for for about six years now, so it's been a long time. Um, but even then, like, this is a great fraternity of comics. There's not quite as uh, developed as India. India's got like a very structured scene and loads of great clubs, and I really hope to get to perform there one day. Um, my visa has been pending since 2017, so hopefully any day now. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's a really cool thing to do, man. Like you, you just you can. The cool thing is about stand up, you can do anything. You can talk about anything you want, and people, you know, they they want to hear it. Like they're on your side. If somebody spends like 20 pounds or 25 pounds on a ticket, you know, or dollars, I don't know, whatever whatever people are spending, Bitcoin. If somebody spends half a Bitcoin on your ticket sales, they want to laugh. They don't want to buy the ticket to have a miserable time. So they're already on your team. You just got to deliver the goods. And yeah, it's a lot of fun, man, to, to answer your question. Thanks for the, the, the nice comments. I appreciate it. Beautiful. I'll move on to a more uh, serious topic. Uh, has, so growing up in England, How's cricket been a sort of vehicle to connect with your roots? Has it been some sort of a, you know, driver of that growing up in um, the country with a Pakistani community, talking with them about cricket? Um, has it been like that for you? Absolutely, man. Like I, um, I loved Pakistani cricket before I knew what Pakistan was. Like before I had a concept of what countries were, and you know what, what like the whole thing was. I think I was like six years old. watching the uh, the the world cup final in 92 
uh, and I watched a lot of that tournament. I'm just processing the colors of Australia and all these colorful kits. And, you know, Amir Sohail, who's still one of my favorite players. I know he's not always very popular with people, but he's still one of my favorite players because, you know, in my formative cricket years, I watched him score some incredible innings, you know, and uh, it just kind of stayed with me. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot, a lot of that comes through. Like I get to, I work with a lot of England players and England captains recently. You know, I worked with people like Michael Warren and uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Anderson and Graham Swan, all these people have represented England at the highest level, are very passionate, very patriotic as well, and you know, in, in, in a manner of speaking. Uh, they've never taken it personally uh, that I'm a big Pakistan fan. And like, if we're watching a game together, I'm always, you know, backing Pakistan. I've never felt that, you know, sometimes you do get this feeling of like, well, you're English, why don't you support England? It's not like a nationalist choice for me. It's just the team that I bonded with in the same way as, you know, someone sitting at the other side of the world in Bangalore might support Manchester United uh, or, you know, somebody in Manchester might support the Brazilian football team. Like, it's just one of those things. I connected with Wasim, you know, I connected with uh, Imran Khan and eventually Wakar and all these incredible players. Like, even if Pakistan was, um, you know, Bangladesh, I would still be backing them. It has nothing to do with the fact that both my parents were born there. It's just, that's what they exposed me to. And that's what I fell in right. love with. So, and people that tend to accept that. Like over time, people will yeah. accept that. It's not an arbitrary thing. It's a very believable thing that you'll, you'll fall in love with the team. And I think that resonates with me too, because um, I was actually born in Saudi Arabia and I grew up there. And if you're in Saudi Arabia, you know, they're a soccer crazy uh, country. So that's what we all kind of grew up with. And then one day, I discovered cricket and and it's funny because you know living in a foreign country you get to mix with a lot more people from other countries like pakistanis sri lankans bangladeshis and you know cricket was that one common thread for us and it was a way for us to connect to our roots and i think a lot of what you said you know <laughs> I, I i'm kind of like taking a trip back to those days where we looked past our boundaries that we had and then could kind of reflect on where we came from. Um, and I think, and I think especially now, right? Because for, for us too, like we all live right now in the United States. Um, I'm an American, but I still follow uh, the Indian cricket team very religiously. And I think if India plays like, let's say the United States of America in cricket, which I don't think will ever happen in <laughs> a really long time at well, least. Uh, wait for that USA IPL team, my friend, it's coming. Oh God. Uh, but no, I, I would definitely without any reservation, I would support the Indian team. So that's that constant struggle uh, between where we have come from and where we are. And regardless of whatever has gone on in your life, whatever you have achieved, uh, I think that that bond, that drew, that that will just not go away. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like, I mean, sports are sports, right? I, some people really get intense about it. And, you know, I get really upset when my team loses. Everybody's seen that video of me and Ranbir Singh. Like, people know, you know, <laughs> I get upset when Pakistan loses. But, you know, ultimately, it is a game. It doesn't make me hate the opposing country. Like, I love the right. Toronto Raptors. Again, I've got no connection with Toronto other than I had a couple of nice gigs there. But I love the Raptors. They're just a team I connect with. But when they lose to, like, the Lakers, I don't boycott LA or start, you know, it's not it's not 
on that kind of level for me. Um, plus, LA is really a beautiful place with a lot of sunshine. And I don't really want to <laughs> stop boycotting that. <laughs> but, you know, it's just one of those things that I think over time, if anybody really loves sport, they'll appreciate your passion. For, and as long as you don't say anything disrespectful and you're mindful of other people's feelings, then you understand that what your, your emotional stuff is contained within your love for the sport. No one's going to take it personally, man. You support whoever you want to support. Although, I, having said that, I, it did break my heart when my nephew became the first person in the history of the Navas family, generations and generations. He became the first to support England and uh, and wear an England shirt. And that was a very heartbreaking moment for me. I felt like I'd failed. As against Pakistan? Him. Against Pakistan, against everybody. Yeah, he's uh, he hopes wow. to play for okay. England one day. And uh, yeah, I, I for his birthday, I, I got Jimmy Anderson to... Um, to like send him a message and that was like oh, wow. you know I, I could have lined up i could have lined up with seem wakar shoeb saklen you Doesn't know matter. i could have got the whole pakistani the legends of the 90s team together and it would have been one side for him and jimmy on the other side like he was just wow. over the moon to get the chance to speak to him um so yeah i've i've totally failed as an uncle but thanks for the shout <laughs> sign of the times. Hi, Atif. It's a pleasure having you here. Um, so kind of staying on the same thread here, right? Um, ever, I was born in India, then I moved to Kuwait in grade one, and you know, I spent my majority of my growing years there, and then I eventually moved to college here, and now uh, here in the sense US, and then I've been living here, right? But during my time in Kuwait, um, every time I opened the TV, I was constantly fed, like, you know, India, uh, India and Pakistan, you know, are meant to be, you know, like, enemies or you know some sort of like a very negative connotation right but um in kuwait i used to play a lot of like table cricket with you know pakistanis and indians and same in the u.s you know in college i played a lot of uh, table cricket with like pakistanis and indians there's a lot of like you know bond me among the desi diaspora here right so um can you kind of like touch on that how have your experiences been in that regard and i know you don't perform to a, an audience and like oh i'm gonna perform for pakistanis that's not how you approach your um career right but so can you like touch upon that how you've kind of like faced such a scenario in your career or in your life so far in in the world of like stand-up comedy specifically um sure in specific uh you know just like a presenter stand-up comedy and cricket across the board basically yeah so i mean comedy is a beautiful thing man like it can be anything you want it to be and so you, you can approach it like what's common these days people do relatable stuff like you know have you ever noticed that or has this ever happened to you like that kind of thing right and there's nothing wrong with that that's cool whereas i'm a really self-absorbed narcissistic person right i want to talk about <laughs> me so what i want to do is take my experiences and tell them in the most comedic way possible now it just happens that the life i live includes people of all sorts of backgrounds and i, I don't know what it is about indians but for some reason most of my life i've gravitated around indians i i grew up in an area in northwest london called Wembley which is basically where the Gujarat Lions uh, did their training before the IPL right uh, it's just like Gujaratis all over the place the first thing I ever loved to eat was Tokla you know like I just you know that I didn't that's just how I was socialized you know like you're around all these people you accommodate everybody like, I don't like sequestered groups if I can help it like I don't like the idea of like like you know people a little bit here a little bit here I'll drop a bit of Urdu with these people some Punjabi with these people Gujarati with these people and then before you know you don't really know who you are anymore right uh, I'm very comfortable just trying to keep everybody as accessible as possible and that extends to cricket man I you know, very soon I'm going to be um, commentating on the IPL for the BBC in, the, in, in England. And I get a little bit of a, 
negative feedback about this from Pakistan fans. Something like, you know, how can you, could you, you know, work on the IPL and, you know, they don't let the Pakistanis play. It's not unfair. We boycott it. We don't even watch it. We certainly don't brag about watching it. Uh, yeah, I've got a few thoughts on this. And, you know, firstly, like, you know, at least one Pakistani should get paid for the IPL and, and, and be like, you know, I, I completely accept that it's a very unfair thing that the Pakistanis don't get to play in the IPL. I really hope one day they will again, because I think, you know, world cricket will be stronger and more entertaining for it. Uh, but I, I genuinely, despite having that issue with the IPL, I still find it very entertaining. And these are all cricketers I love to watch. You know, I love watching uh, all of these Indian players. Like, I was more thrilled than anybody else when Krunal Pandya got his debut because I watched him for like six years play for Mumbai Indians, right? So uh, I'm following this guy's work and uh, I, I get to see these players come through and do their thing. And, you know, I, I feel good about it. So I don't see why I should be detached from that. And usually when you make that kind of point, people, they'll understand. They won't hold it against you, but there is still... And I've noticed this more the more I kind of dip into the diaspora a little bit with um, Indians and, and and Pakistanis, right? There is still a little bit of us and them going on. And I don't, I think if you really pushed people on the us and them, they wouldn't really know where it comes from. They wouldn't be able to pinpoint it to a position right. of um, of reason. Like, yes, India and Pakistan have had many conflicts and wars and back and forth and all this kind of stuff. But everybody has, right? Uh, you go back as far as history, like England, Germany, the America. I mean, can you really name one country that doesn't have some kind of issue with another country? It makes for a great marketing tool, but let's right. understand it for what it is. People are more savvy now. We've got all the information. People, A lot of people benefit from playing countries off against each other. I like the idea of watching India and Pakistan play more cricket against each other because it's very attractive. And I understand there's loads of dynamics and politics at play, but... It, it, you should never have to use a political reason to not engage with a with a team necessarily. Right. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, you know, apartheid was a thing, obviously, and you know, South Africa. And some things are quite justified, but specifically in the case of India and Pakistan, it makes me uncomfortable. And I've never let anything be a barrier to me enjoying and watching cricket if I possibly can. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of my experience of it, man. Like in stand up, I just I just do what I want to do, and hopefully they'll like it. And I'm very lucky that people from all bits and pieces seem to like it. Uh, and if they don't, they don't have to buy a ticket. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Atif. Yeah, that, that's a very good yeah. answer. And to your point of, um, you know, us versus them, it's almost like a learned behavior, right? If you like dig deeper, there's no reasoning or, you know, there's no like uh, original thought there, right? It's like, oh yeah, you're like, you know, segregated in the group. You have to behave this way. You have to say these things. And that's what kind of like trickles down to the generations. But the younger generation, like, you know, it's more, you've become more global and, you know, borders are very like, you know, artificial these days, right? So it's good. Yeah. I'm just saying that you realize that there's much more in common between us when you go far away and you mix with people. We have the same language, the same food, the same right. culture almost. So it's it's really artificial, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. But, you know, some of these, hey, I really worry about the direction we're going in now. You know, a lot of young people in particular are starting to say really problematic things. Like I remember growing up thinking, you know, these things will pass. People will get more progressive. They'll understand the world a little bit more. They'll be more worldly. They'll be less prone to propaganda and nationalism and all this other nonsense stuff. But I still get, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, a very close friend of mine um, got a, a, you know, a career advancement situation in the world of entertainment. And so I tweeted him 
uh, you know, he's he's an Indian guy, Hindu Indian guy, and and uh, he, he I tweeted saying like, congratulations, brother, I'm really proud of you, right? Something like that, and sharing his thing. And I got like a bunch of tweets saying he, he's you are Muslim brother, and he's not your brother. You know, he's Hindu, he's not your brother. Don't call him brother. He can be your friend, but he cannot be your brother. He's not brother, brother. And I'm like, you need to calm the f down, my friend. Like seriously, he this he's as close to me. You don't know what kind of relationship experiences we've shared. Uh, I think of him like a brother and the whole everything else is kind of secondary and tertiary to me. If you're going to use your faith to try and push somebody away, that's your business. Uh, But I'm not going to do that. But this is the kind of thing you navigate because like the Internet is this wide open space and you get a little bit of everything. Right. So if you put your opinion out there and you develop a bit of a profile, all of a sudden you become a sounding board for everybody's opinion. So people will get in, you know, people will have an opinion about anything. I could talk about my bowel movements on Twitter and people will still find a way to either be outraged or angry. And in that case, you know, you can either just mute till the sun goes down or, you know, you can can block or whatever, but, you know, sometimes you take the bait and you talk to people and you try and reason with them a little bit. And, you know, over time you realize that you just, you know, you might not just have, you just, run out of energy you say i'm gonna i know what i want to do i know i'm gonna live my life i'm gonna do my thing somebody else will deal with you bro i just don't have the energy i just want to watch the one day international you know uh one of the reasons i love stand-up comedy is you can identify with so much like you know when the performer is sharing the story and one of my favorite stand-up comedians is hasan minaj and he you know whenever he shares his experiences of growing up um i can connect with it i can identify with it right and again very similar to us who who have grown up in environments where we've interacted with people from different countries, we don't really think, oh, you're from this country, so I'm not going to talk to you or I'm, I'm not going to like you. We're still going to be friends. And when you look at social media, that can distort that because not everyone has had the same experiences. People living only in India or people living only in Pakistan, they haven't had opportunities to interact with people from the other country because all they have been exposed to so far is the perceptions that they're getting through, you know, media or all the promos on TV, which always hypes up like India, Pakistan encounters as this life or death situation where it's like a matter of pride for the nation if you win. And I think people are missing out so much because of that. And I think your role there, it's, I don't know if you accept it or not, but as a stand-up comedian, especially in, you know, like a, a, in British Asian communities, you're performing to people from a, uh, Indian origin or Pakistani origin or any other country for that matter. You are being a tool. You're in the nicest way. You're bringing <laughs> people closer together just by sharing, like, listen, this is happening in my household. This happens in my family. And guess what? I'm pretty sure it's happening in yours too, right? And suddenly the boundaries don't exist anymore. And I don't know how, do, do you consciously use that in your comedy where you try to bring people closer, even if it's done in a very light way? Do you know what, Benny? I'll be honest with you, man. I, I used to, I used to try and um, try and think about common experiences and things like that and try and make it like this unifying experience. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember there was something something awful that just happened between India and Pakistan. I don't remember exactly what it was because there's a few of them to choose from, but something had happened and I finished my set with this, like, you know, I, I did the whole funny thing and I finished with this kind of like moral thing, like, guys, you know, we got to love each other. We got to be nice to each other. Everybody gave me a round of applause and people were like, oh, you did great. But part of me felt a little bit annoyed for doing that, not because it wasn't the right thing to say, not because... It was, I didn't agree or stand by what I said, but because like my job there is to entertain, right? My job is to tell jokes. Like 
ultimately what I really want from my comedy or my set is to be funny. If I can do something good incidentally through it, wonderful. But really, I just, I'm there to showcase a skill or use a skill to entertain people. That's all I really, but I don't really want to battle wars or, you know, try and take up this mission to change people's minds. There was a time when I had that real passion in me. You know, I was really passionate about Islamophobia. So I did a show called uh, Muslims Do It Five Times a Day, which was all about tackling stereotypes. You know, the idea is like there's 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. How can you think they're all the same, bro? You know, they're all this, <laughs> this niches and then there's niches within niches, you know, right. like you just when you think like the phrase that blows my mind the most is like, oh, you know, you know, so and so people, they're all the same. Are they? Because they're never the same, right? I right. I can I don't know any two Indian people that are exactly the same. I don't know any two people from the city. We're good Delhi examples right here same. in this podcast. I think Bro, all four of us are I, very different. I mean, apart from you two, you're obviously the same because you both have the Middle Eastern thing going on. Like obviously, apart from you guys, like <laughs> nobody nobody's the same. Like I've, I I mean, you can have people who live side by side and have exactly the same experiences over the course of their lifetime. And even they will have niches to their behaviors, their tastes, their habits, their norms, their values, right? So I just think this idea of like grouping people and sequestering people into little identity is outdated. I think everybody is a free flowing world where people change their mind and change their personality every day. It's the Instagram generation, right? Everything expires in 24 (laughs) hours, right? The Snapchat, sorry, the Snapchat generation, everything changes in 24 hours. So everything is disposable, including identity. So I just, I like the idea of, of, of keeping it to me because that's the only thing I understand when I do my stand-up. I talk about right. my experiences. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got, um, you know, I was, I was married for a long time, divorced, and I've got this whole new adventure of, like, trying to meet people again after this much time. And that makes for an interesting topic in, in stand-up. Um, and it doesn't leave a lot of room, sadly, for, like, you know, world peace and, and ending <laughs> uh, awful things and things like makes that. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean... I'll let the PSAs get people to vaccinate and I'll just tell the jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, Adif, I guess my question is around the PSL. Uh, you know, this current edition obviously was suspended uh, and I, I read reports about teams flouting the rules and, you know, PCB not putting their foot down. It almost made me feel that that's sort of the overall attitude that people in general in India have towards COVID where they're like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to live my life. And, you know, I don't really care about this, which obviously is, is sad because it's impacting so many people. Do you think it's similar in Pakistan as well? I, I guess so, man. Like it's really hard to say because like I, I'm always really wary of trying to police or morally uh, guide the people in, in Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, whatever. Right. Because like it, it, we're in England and America respectively, right? Like we don't have a lot to show for COVID. Like we've actually been hit pretty hard and not behaved in any way that could be considered morally superior, right? Um, as, as a country, like obviously there's people in the States and England, obviously who have behaved well and made sure that, you know, they've done their best to prevent spreading the disease, but it happens, right? The PSL, uh, I mean, I having a little bit of insight, um, in that world, like I, I, I've heard of a few instances of things going away from regulations, I guess, you know, people not observing all of the SOPs, uh, the standard operating procedures in, in Pakistan. Um, but I know it's this disease. I, I had COVID in December and like, you know, you can be as vigilant as you possibly want. You can get it. And it's it's one of those things. It only takes one person. Right. So in a tournament of 300 odd players. Like it only takes one person's mistake and there's all these stakeholders and owners, like there's little things that you're watching and you're thinking like, okay, just for the optics of it, guys, 
maybe we shouldn't have so many people in the crowd. Maybe we should space out the crowd a little bit. Maybe everybody that we show on camera in the crowd should be wearing a mask. You know, like even if they aren't in in real life, like let's try and encourage people to do the right thing. Right. That's the idea. This is why the uh, Pakistani prime minister got some critique recently because, you know, he can say he can reason his photo, but anybody can take that photo and say, well, if the PM is doing it, why can't I do it? Right. You try and set the right kind of precedent. I just think the cricketers fail that there is this perception in Pakistan as well that, you know, particularly the elite classes, they have their own uh, set of behavior or a different set of law, different set of consequences, blah, 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 blah. And whether that's true or not, that's not for me to say, but I would certainly say they have a responsibility of uh, setting an example and setting a tone because people watch these these people on TV, on the internet, they look to them for, you know, subconscious guidance. And if they're flouting the rules, everybody will feel like they can. And uh, I imagine it's the same in India. Again, I couldn't possibly comment. Um, I was really worried about the massive crowds in the first few England-India uh, games, um, you know, because right. they... They said that they were going to have a partial capacity, like like a 50% capacity, but they just used half the state. They, they still put them all. They didn't spread them out over the two bowls. They put everybody in the same bowl. That was, you know, <laughs> kind of defeats the point of spacing people out. But I, yeah, I honestly, I, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I really hope that, you know, I think there's some cultural things to overcome. You got to remember countries like India and probably more so Pakistan, they don't have necessarily the same economic ability to support its population in the same way as the USA and the UK can. I'm not an economist, but I'm just guessing it's difficult to extend welfare programs or supplement people if you want them to stay at home. Like if you if you run like a stall and that's your living, it's hard to say to you, like, you know, stay home because of this virus, because you stay home, you're gonna die of starvation. So, you know, it's a, it's a difficult balance, man. Um, but when the PSL was canceled, oh, I was gutted. I almost, I almost empathize with the Freedies comment. I don't know if you guys saw this where he was like, you know, if one or two people got Corona, so what? Play the tournament. We want to watch cricket. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yeah, so it's not the most responsible thing Shahid Bai's ever said. But, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, I understand the impulse behind it. Which is kind of right. like, I want to watch cricket. I just want to watch right. cricket. Just play the cricket. You know, come that's on, guys. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I obviously that's you know this is all just to be very clear before anybody who listens or what however you guys put this out uh, responds to me directly saying you're a responsible person because uh, I guarantee they will. <laughs> this is just jokes, right? Obviously, the right thing was done to postpone it. Uh, I'm, I'm apparently they managed to get it back on its feet. Um, right. I hope they take plenty of guidance from the IPL as well because the IPL is going to happen in between the resumption of the PSL. Um, I'm, I think because the IPL has a little bit more, a lot more money uh, to throw at things like, you know, precautions, like chaperones or, you know, whatever, snitches, whatever they've got in their teams, right? They've got like designated team snitches. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, whatever, whatever it is they're doing, I hope the PTB pays attention and, and implements something similar. Yeah, I, I, I personally think that's, that's, you know, you talked about the India England series as well. And of course, the crowd was in there and, you know, they were all packed in there, but what I found really shocking was, you know, Saurav Ganguly and Jay Shah, all of these pe- people are in the crowd. They're watching with different people every single game. They're around different people. They're never wearing masks. And I was like, that is really not the precedent to set. Or they're just but, wearing um, it for their chin, which a friend creatively said. Right. It just looks like they're wearing chin diapers, which I think is a <laughs> pretty accurate description. I, you know what really worried me was the the Road World Series, the Road Safety World Series, right? Road because that was in yep. Raipur. Like, I, I don't know what the COVID situation is in Raipur, but I imagine it's not great because it's not great everywhere in India, right? 
I mean, you're putting elderly cricketers out there in front of massive crowd. Like we're talking about Sachin Tendulkar, who's like a national treasure in India, in his 50s now. Why are we risking Tendulkar getting COVID in this uh, random elderly cricket <laughs> tournament? Like, I'm sorry to people like Chris Tremlett who could break me like a twig. You know, like, I don't mean to call them elderly, but what I mean is like, there's some cricketers that are over the age of 50 uh, that are, you know, higher risk for COVID and they're being put in environments where there's massive crowds, very few of whom are being pictured wearing masks. And I get the road safety is a great thing to promote. Absolutely. And I think it was actually kind of nice to see uh, a social message attached to uh, a cricket tournament. But in the current world, is that really the social message to push ahead of COVID? Like, is it, you know, kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I was going to make a really inappropriate comment. I don't know if it's an adult friendly thing, but I, I won't. Don't worry. Uh, but yeah, it's just it was just a very bizarre choice of um campaign to support you know Atif, i think we have already lost a bunch of listeners so you can go ahead and make <laughs> the joke at this point no no it's fine don't worry i'm not i'm sorry i've I probably lost you lost them when you put me on my, my man i'm telling you <laughs> uh i i just think i just think it's crazy like the, the some of the things some of the risks being taken at the moment uh uh just seem a little bit unnecessary that's what i'm gonna right. say right uh i don't know the ins and outs of it i don't know you know, if road safety is that much of an issue in Raipur that even more people are dying because of poor road safety in Raipur than, you know, like uh, COVID. And in which case, maybe I'm completely wrong and this was very necessary. But if that's not the case, I don't mean to make light of it, by the way, if yeah. anybody thinks that's what I'm doing. Um, it's just a byproduct of the topic. I, I just think it was a weird thing to do. And why are we risking you know, all these cricketers getting COVID. I don't, it's just my opinion. No, but you highlighted a very important point in current, uh, you know, international cricket or just in general cricket administration is just a new challenge for boards to figure out how to conduct, you know, tournaments in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, that road safety tournament, I think it's a good example because it sounds, it serves as a counterpoint to something like the IPL or any other bilateral series that are being organized with so many precautions like it or not, it's just what we have to do. And as painful or as inconvenient as it is, you need to do whatever you need to do to conduct it safely for the health and safety of not just the players and the fans, but also everyone else associated with it, umpires, coaches, and the ground staff. You can't just wash your hands off it and say, well, I guess we'll just live with it. And, you know, just we'll just go on carrying our life just as we used to before. You cannot defeat a pandemic with just, you know, your willpower. Uh, you need a lot more common sense. And I think this actually serves as a good lesson uh, for people. And, you know, going back to the PSL suspension, um, and I think it's just a good reminder for, you know, especially when we have the IPL and then the T20 World Cup coming up, I think it serves as a good reminder for all the administrators that they need to be on it. They need to be on the ball. They need to make the necessary precautions because ultimately fans are the ones who are losing out. I can't imagine the disappointment for Pakistani fans in Pakistan who would have loved to see the games and then that being the tournament being suspended that must have caused a lot of disappointment for fans. It was it was hugely disappointing. I can't explain to you the tournament had got off to this perfect start, right? High quality bowling, high quality batting, very entertaining play, new Pakistani players being showcased, international players making the everything you want from a T20 franchise tournament. Yes, there was a lot of gratuitous advertising, but thanks to India, we're used to that now, right? Uh, I think Pakistan may have gone even further than India, actually. Another thing we have in common. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. We know how to rinse it. We know how to make the money, baby. Let's sponsor everything from stumpings to leg buys. But I, uh, I, I was just there was a moment where David Gower had to add a sponsor's name to a cover drive, which really I felt like my soul just died when he did that. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's fine. You get you got used to it. You understand that it's part of the game. Like it's not ideal, uh, but I'm not gonna. You know, it's not my hill to die on. It's fine. I still get to watch great cricket. And then for it to be taken away the way it was, man. I mean, I know how gutted I was. Like this was gonna be Pakistan's redemption. This huge tournament. It's being in the UK. It was being broadcast on Sky Sports, which is a big mainstream platform. So for the first time ever, a lot of English fans would be engaging with it. Like Indian cricket. Uh, in IPL cricket has been readily available in the UK. So everybody can watch it and listen to it on the radio. I mean, we're commentating it on the BBC, right? So the BBC is choosing to put out IPL cricket commentary. That's how popular it is. And right. the PSL was getting to that point. It was running so smooth. It was going to be, you know, it was going to build up and be the undisputed number two league in the world. Uh, and this just kind of derailed everything. It was heartbreaking in so many different ways, man. I can't explain to you. Uh, but ultimately it had to stop there. And I think in it ending, hopefully uh, the PCB, the PSL, the stakeholders, whomever is involved with the admin side, the administration of that tournament will learn a lesson and implement it uh, that will serve them better in the long term. Uh, we can't have you here and not talk about Lahore, right? So is something I've heard a lot and I've loved Lahore from a distance and it's a sort of a cultural epicenter for uh, North India and Pakistan through history. So you have a documentary about Lahore, right? Which is postcards from Lahore. So what attracted you to the city and what did you find there when you went there? Because I've always dreamt of going there and I will inshallah someday uh, when the borders are more open. Oh man. But yeah, what did you find? Oh, him and Nish, I really hope you get a chance to go. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful places. And I know there's a bias there. Both of my parents were born in Lahore. All four of my grandparents were born in Lahore. Uh, and as far as they can go back, as far as we can trace our family, they've always been in Lahore in Pakistan. Uh, I spent a lot of my youth there. You know, I was in Lahore in 92 when Pakistan won the World Cup in Australia. I was in Lahore in 96 when Lahore hosted the World Cup final, right? Um, I spent an enormous amount of my youth there, but I hadn't been back for a very long time. And I would just be raving about Lahore and Pakistan to my friends here in the UK. And, you know, particularly sort of my English friends or European friends who are just kind of like, eh, Pakistan. Like, if it's a holiday I want to go to, I'm looking at Ibiza. I'm looking at like, you know, Milan, Barcelona, maybe Florida, you know, somewhere like that. I'm not looking at Lahore, bro. Like that's not on my list. <laughs> it's not the sexy vacation destination. I was selling it to them like it was. And, you know, one of my best buds in school, uh, a guy called Savas Papasava, who ended up co co-directing the documentary with, me. Um, you know, he was like, well, next time you go there, just show me what it's like. And I was like, oh, you know what? I will. So I got a hold of this three CCD camera, which at the time was the broadcast resolution. This doc was made nearly 10 years ago now. Uh, I took it with me to Lahore and I just started filming things and just filming loads of random bits of Lahore. Like it was initially kind of touristy, like, oh, this is this historical location. This is this historical location. But like I ended up getting into people's lives, I ended up getting into the food, um, you know, a lot of the local culture, how things had changed in, in a post uh, 9 11 post war terrorism, you know, world where tourism had taken this huge hit in, in Pakistan and, you know, Lahore, you know, a lot of these tourist attractions. There's a place called the Shalimar Gardens, Shalimar Bagh in Lahore. 
And it's a beautiful place, man. And it was just, there was nobody there when I went. You know, there was nobody there. It was really sad because it's a gorgeous place. Um, and now it's become like this this um, CD makeout spot, you know, for kids to go to because, you know, nobody's going to be there, right? So that's why they go there. Um, the same for this place, the tomb of Jahangir, uh, which is just outside Lahore. It's called the Mukbara Jahangir in, uh, in Urdu or Punjabi or whatever. And again, it's a great place. And my father and I still go there every time I go to Lahore. And it was just these gorgeous places, this tomb, all these, you know, with this Mughal architecture. It's extraordinary. And then the food, we, you know, before you, the food, you could do a whole podcast about Lahori food, right? It's extraordinary. Even for someone with a very, it's extraordinary. Like even for someone with like a weird palate like me, I, I, I adore it. So, and obviously I have a lot of family there, but I, I would encourage everybody that's never been to Lahore, that's able to go once the world is in a safer place to go and visit Lahore to, to, if you, you find my documentary useful, by all means, find it online. It's somewhere. Uh, But I, I would encourage you to consult many uh, Pakistani people from Lahore and they'll tell you, I guarantee you, if you talk to 10 different Pakistani Lahoris, they'll tell you 10 different must go to restaurants. You'll say, what's the best restaurant in Lahore? You'll get 10 different answers from 10 different lorries because there's so many to choose from and it's incredibly subjective. Um, and yeah, I, I'm so passionate about Lahore, bro. I could talk about it all day. Um, unless you want to talk about the Lahore Kalanders, which is a much shorter discussion topic. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, not, they're not very good, but they're my team. What can I do? <laughs> yeah, there's this book by Harun Khalid called Imagining Lahore. Which yes. I read, which is which is a pretty good exploration of its pre-partition history, and yeah, so that that got me hooked to Lahore. And my dream is to first visit Park Tea House and then go to Old Anarkali and sit there and have all the food over there. Yeah, so someday, someday. And I'm similarly yeah, passionate you... about Delhi, so we can chat about that off the air. Oh man, we're kind of sister I... cities, right? That way. I really want to go to uh, Delhi as well. It's, I've, again, like just growing up, I've got like, as I say, I end up gravitating to Indians. I don't know how this is, but again, one of my best friends, Anirudh. Um, so he's in Mumbai, but my uh, other friend, uh, Amea, is in Delhi. And they're all kind of like always competing. And they've all got their own inner rivalry as well. Like, you know, they've got their own little stereotypes that they start throwing at each other. And I'm just very uncomfortable with the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's so much beauty in that part of the world. And you can only, I guess, refer to the places you've been to. Delhi all day long, I'd love to go. Um, but yeah, if in terms of Lahore, I cannot recommend it enough. There's just so much to do there. I couldn't possibly sell it to you uh, in an answer. Just take my word for it. Just go. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will. At the first chance, I will. I did have a comment. I'll definitely join both of you guys, though I'm not passionate or, I mean, I'm sorry. That Take that back. <laughs> I'm very passionate to, you know, visit La- uh, Pakistan in general, not specifically Lahore, but I don't share the knowledge that, you know, Kimanish brings, but that doesn't, it's not going to stop me whenever the gates open, right? So um, my brother is a big foodie and, you know, he always goes to these YouTube channels and, you know, he tells me, he recommends me like these bunch of YouTube channels for like, you know, they go on their own and kind of like collaborate with locals and kind of like, you know, bring the, try to like uh, bring the tourism of the lost tourism, so to speak, of Pakistan, you know, back on the forefront of people's mind, right? So that is something that I find really awesome. And I live vicariously through these videos, right? So I just wanted to like bring that up, saying that um, even if you haven't been to those parts, there are like really amazing people who put the hard yards and go to these uh, different locations. And, you know, for people like me who have never been there, who've only like, you know, lived in the imagination, right? So it's really nice. Just wanted to bring that up. If I had yeah. a chance, if I had like a dream project, I would love to do an, a tourist, like I did a documentary, but I'd like to do like a tourist 
like one of those you know those those crappy videos you watch when you're on like an airline and like hey what to do when you're in milan like make yeah. sure you check out the thing and make sure you go here like i want to do that but i want to do that for lahore and, and and obviously not like that i want to do a good version of it but i want to do that kind of program for lahore i think i think i'd sell it i think i'd sell it i'd watch it nice. <laughs> <laughs> well let's let's get back to the cricket again um <laughs> Mike, you had a question about, uh, or you had something about Pakistan's tour of South Africa. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I have uh, a couple of managers who I worked with who, yeah, you know, they're Sikhs, so they visited Gurdwaras in Pakistan, and they said, you know, wonderful things like you are saying. So definitely curious. But as Benny's keeping us in check, so we'll, we'll talk about the cricket. <laughs> and uh, so I know... You know, there's been a lot of talk about fitness and all of that. And, you know, Sharjil Khan has been picked again. And there's been a lot of questions around that. What are your thoughts about that? I know that it seems like a shift from the Mickey Arthur era where, you know, he was very particular about uh, fitness to what Mizbah is doing right now. Uh, where do you stand on that? And you know, maybe there's not really one side or one way or the other being, you know, the right answer. I think uh, Mizbah Al-Haq recently did a, did a press conference and he addressed this. I think he kind of nailed it in his answer, which was, you know, we're going by the rules. Uh, we're going by the precedents that we've set. If we've said that uh, people who perform in domestic domestic cricket or people who uh, show potential to contribute to the national team and, you know, they've had this phase of suspension or isolation from the modern game because of some kind of infraction. Uh, if we've accepted that they're going to be allowed back in, then we got to allow them to come back in without prejudice. Uh, in terms of fitness, I, I actually like... I think having abs is overrated, by the way, first of all. I feel like I have to say this. Having <laughs> abs is overrated. You know, I know I've got a vested interest in saying this, but <laughs> I I just think, you know, sometimes people can look like they're a bit chunky, but, you know, they're actually, you know, they can be just as athletic and aerodynamic as somebody who's who's not. And um, I would argue that Shirjil, um, though he wouldn't be my, my go-to uh, first choice opener for Pakistan, I would argue that the runs that he could contribute with a bat would far outweigh the runs he would cost Pakistan uh, in the field, uh, if if any, uh, by the way. I just think people tend to fixate on fitness. I know uh, a player called Samit Patel really well here in England and uh, ex-England, Nottingham, IPL, PSL, everything, right? Uh, I just think it's just so unfair. Like, they've got so much to offer, but people kind of, this is the world, right? We reduce people to caricatures. Um, I think Shajil will, if he plays... Uh, which it looks like he's he's going to. I think he'll prove a lot of his doubt is wrong and actually do quite well. Um, though I don't know if he is the long-term solution for Pakistan. That's another discussion. I think the fitness is relative as long as you can get on the field, make it through 50 overs, not get cramp, not need a runner, uh, you know, not look, you know, not be lumbering. As long as you can chase down the ball, do some relay stuff, throw yourself at point. As long as you can do your job and not be incompetent, let them play. How do you feel? What do you feel about... Uh... What do you feel about Pakistan's chances overall in the upcoming series? I think Pakistan will fancy themselves, even though they're going away to South Africa. It's a weaker South Africa team with a lot of their star players going over to India for the IPL. Um, it's still you know, tough to beat South Africa at home, even with you know a weakened side. I don't want to go as far as to call them a second string team, but it's a weakened team for sure. I think Pakistan with the run of form that they've had, the sequence of performances that they've put through, and of course, their recent tour uh, hosting South Africa and Pakistan, I think they'll feel pretty good about their chances. Anything short of, um, you know, a, a commanding win, 
right. would be considered a bit of a letdown at this point. I think a lot of people are looking to Barbarazm in this series to press home that batting ranking as well. Like he's just below Virat Kohli at the moment in the world rankings, but he can overtake him in the series if he if he puts in a sequence of good performances. And I, I think I think the expectation is for him to do that at this point, um, certainly amongst Pakistan fans. So I, I I would I would go along with that. I think Pakistan have a pretty good chance of of winning this and going into that Zimbabwe series with some momentum. Much needed momentum in that Zimbabwe series. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we close, uh, you know, again, as a stand-up comedian, you obviously are very observant about things that are going on, not just around you, but in the world. I'm just curious about, you know, what your perspective has been on life uh, during the past year, uh, because it's obviously appended everyone's life. So has that shaped your perspective on life and cricket uh, during the crazy year that we just had man I, I genuinely it's been a year of kind of gratitude for me because you know I, I i usually i spend most of my time away from home i'm always like in a hotel in some random city uh i'm away from home i'm always sort of not publicly i guess but i'm always kind of complaining or you know bemoaning something that i'm missing oh, i mean i needed this why don't i have this i really learned this why don't i get this? and like you know what i've had the last year is like a, a, a full solid year of hanging out with my parents um, which I don't think I've done since I was like a child. So it's been awesome, man, just to spend that much time with my parents. They're both sort of uh, uh, up there in terms of age. So, uh, you know, without being uh, macabre, I don't know how many more opportunities I'll get like this. So in a weird way, it was really nice for me just to be able to spend that time with them, to enjoy the basic things in life. And, you know, I say basic things. I mean, I mean like Netflix and, and Deliveroo, <laughs> right? Like delivered food. So uh, like, you know, that, some time with your family, um, your health, you know, all of these things that you take massively for granted. You don't need nightclubs and casinos and huge parties and cricket stadiums to keep you happy. These are all wonderful things, but you don't necessarily need them uh, on a regular basis. What you, what you need is like some good human contact and a little bit of gratitude for uh, all of the all of the blessings um, uh, that you have in life. And I've really felt that, man. And, uh, and I'm really, really grateful that I'm, I'm so in love with the game of cricket because it kept me a occupied and be really sane this year. Like, you know, it gave me something to wake up early for or stay up late for or whatever, you know, like just watching it and being able to talk about it and have an opinion on it or feel something, you know, I, there's people that I haven't felt a lot for them, not as much, as much as I have for cricket. So, you know, I, I, I my love for cricket is even stronger for the pandemic um uh, and uh having reflected like i think it was actually you know obviously it's been an awful time for a lot of people uh, and it's really sad but i um i think i got a little bit got some positive stuff from it so if you're able to just come out of it healthy and with some loved ones around you i think you did okay is what i'd say to anybody who um who was trying to process it and uh you know with that being said in the uk at least we look like we're we're kind of about to come through it you know with vaccinations and stuff and um i'm very much looking forward to life getting back to normal but i'll never take it for granted in the same way as i did before this i second all of what you said particularly you know cricket cricket i mean i think that's one of the reasons why i really wanted to start a podcast because it kind of uh talking about bringing out the things that you cherish or value most in life i was really surprised by how much cricket was right on top you know, of my list and and it's something even like Ravi Chandran Ashwin, you know, like he, he talked about like the time away from cricket, it kind of cut out a lot of distraction for him and focused his love for cricket. And he realized he couldn't really do anything else or he couldn't live without it. 
which is why like it's resulted in you know him talking a lot about cricket with a lot of people and i think the one thread that we all share is the one common thread that we all share is our passion for cricket and our love for cricket and i'm i'm just glad that we we still get to watch it we still get to share our thoughts on it and probably get trolled in some instances for it uh but atif i, I want to thank you so much for your time today and thank you so much for all the work that you do uh not just like you know bringing joy and laughter to so many people but also just you know talking about cricket and you know uh presenting it in a light way and for people just to focus on that and you know keep aside all negativity and you know just enjoy life enjoy cricket uh, dude i really appreciate that um it's it's my pleasure uh i'm not uh, exactly swimming for activity right now so it's totally <laughs> you know it's totally <laughs> fine it's been it's been a lot of fun to meet you and your friends digitally and stuff and uh yeah man i i mean if you take if you've made it to the end of this podcast and you're still listening well done uh sorry cuz i <laughs> you I, win you win a surprise surprise <laughs> yeah no i just i feel i feel really bad cuz i i'm I'm not very good at being fully intelligible or being concise at the moment. Um this is one of the things I'm missing right now is discipline. But uh I did enjoy it. Usually when I start to ramble it's because I'm or I'm being less structured. It's because I'm having a good time. So this was a lot of fun guys. Uh thank you again Benny for sharing uh, you know your group of friends with me to just to listen to my stories and if you take one thing away from this from your little chat with me I just I'm just a guy who loves cricket man don't worry about everything else I'm just a guy who loves cricket and I'll talk about it with anybody all right and remember if you are ever going to do another documentary in Lahore don't forget to take uh, Himanish and Nish with you awesome bro you just bring bring uh, your uh, camcorder and a tripod and uh, you're on the crew it's done <laughs> yep thank you so all much right. for being here and if you're ever in delhi um, kebabs are on me and a tour of all the seven cities of delhi is on me as well outstanding I, as long yeah. as we can go to chandni chowk i'm happy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well that's it for this episode of the last wicket a special thank you to atif for coming on the show and talking about his passion for cricket You can follow him on Twitter at Atif Nawaz and do check out the Post Match Chat YouTube channel. We'll be posting all the links on our show notes. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and do spread the word about the show. Once again, thank you for listening and we hope you come back for more. From all of us here at the Last Wicket, have a great week.